Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, coming to you from the lands of the Gadigal people. Just to let you know, ABC News Daily is on a summer break until the 23rd of January. But for the next few weeks, we're bringing back some of our favourite episodes from 2022. Have a great summer and we'll see you next year. With residents in flood-devastated towns across New South Wales and Queensland trying to piece their lives back together, the question is what comes next? Should the flood-prone towns be rebuilt or could they be moved to higher ground? Today, the ABC's National Regional Affairs reporter, Lucy Barber, takes us on a journey to try and find a lasting solution. So many people are still cleaning up huge amounts of mess. Many homes are completely uninhabitable. And some of those people are now asking whether their homes, whether their towns or even parts of their towns in those flood-prone areas are even viable anymore. They need a sustainable, longer-term solution. And for some, that is simply to move to higher or drier ground because these people are worried that floods that were a once-in-a-century event or a one-in-a-500-year event seem to be happening a lot more frequently. And not only are they sick to death of cleaning up and losing all their possessions, they're traumatised and they're terrified about what might happen next time. So, Lucy, what can these people do I mean, moving your whole house or moving a whole town, it just seems pretty difficult. Has that ever been done in Australia before? It has, actually. A very long time ago, in fact, the New South Wales town of Gundagai, it's a small rural town, was moved from low-lying river flats up a nearby hill, and that was way back in 1853. Gundagai is actually where Australia's deadliest flood occurred. So... In 1852, around 90 people were killed when the Murrumbidgee River burst its banks and it sent this raging torrent of water. It swept away entire buildings. People were clinging for their lives in trees. It was completely horrific. So that was way back in 1853, but you've been visiting there more recently. Yeah, well, I actually went to talk to the descendant of uh, um, someone who, whose family were killed in those floods. Well, Lucy, it was a, an enormous flood, 1852. Uh, caught them by surprise, really. Gordon Lindley's great-great-grandfather was an innkeeper and he happened to be away buying cattle when the flood, uh, flood hit the town. And on that night, his wife and four young children, aged just one to six years old, were were there in Gundagai and they were caught in the flood. So they scrambled to the top of a stable on their property because the the mother thought that was the highest point available to them. And then she pulled her four young children in tight and she cuddled them before they were all swept away to their deaths. She just sat there and grabbed all the children and cuddled them as much as she could and and away they went. And uh, they did find the bodies and they did bury them. 
it was an incredibly tragic event and still really quite raw for people such a long time after it happened, like Gordon Lindley. I mean, he he thinks, he believes that that tragedy could have been prevented because white settlers, Sam, actually built the town on the River Flats. And that's obviously a very common story across Australia. But at the time, in 1838, when the land was laid out for, for building, the Aboriginal people in the area warned the settlers not to build there. This landscape is home for me. And um, knowing my country um, gives me a, a sense of belonging to country and people. And Shane Harrington, who's a Wiradjuri Warrigal man in Gundagai, told me that his people told the settlers the area was prone to flooding and they should build higher up on, on the hill. So our, our people actually told them that it was going to flood um, and there was a big mother flood cl- like coming that would actually wipe them out. So our people actually told them to move to the higher ground. They ignored everything that our people had told them and that little bit of ignorance actually cost them, you know, half the township. The 1852 flood happened, it was horrific, and it was only then that the government stuffed up funds for the town to be moved up a hill. And to this day, homes in Gundagai are largely unaffected by flooding. So it seems like in Gundagai's case, the strategy worked, but, you know, 1852, it's a long time ago. Has anyone tried to do it more recently? Yes, quite recently, in fact. So Grantham's a rural town about 100 k's west of Brisbane in the Lockyer Valley region. And you'll no doubt remember back in 2011, a flash flood hit Grantham. 13 people died when that flood, which was described as an inland tsunami, effectively swallowed the town. A search and rescue operation begins at first light in southeast Queensland for scores of people reported missing in devastating flash floods. It was horrific, but in the immediate aftermath, we're talking days, the local council acted and it was pretty determined to move people to a new safer location. So the former mayor, Steve Jones, actually negotiated with a local farmer to buy 120 blocks of land, so all up about 935 acres. And that was on a nearby hillside adjacent to where the flood had come through. He then got a uh, a planning expert on board to oversee the relocation. They managed to get $9 million each from the state and federal governments and that together with donations plus the council's own money meant that the council effectively became a developer and they developed a new estate and then those who wanted to could relocate. So they set up a ballot system and people who did want to take it up, entered the ballot. So you got the land for free, but you had to pay for your rebuild. And when you think about it, the floods hit in January, the new estate had opened by the end of the year. So it all happened really quickly. How successful was that overall? Well, you only need to look at the recent flood event, Sam. Nobody in that new Grantham estate, which is still very close to the old part of Grantham as the crow flies, was affected by the recent flood. So those in the lower, older part have been affected. Their their homes are damaged. But anyone who did move, like Tanya Hooper, for example, who we met in the new Grantham estate, is feeling this huge sense of relief while obviously also feeling really heartbroken Who for, for anyone who's left cleaning up yet again. Oh, just 
um, well, I work down there. I work in the shop. So um, after being there, you know, this last week and, and um, cleaning, cleaning up a shop that was flood affected, I certainly wouldn't want to be doing it with my home. I, I feel for them from the bottom of my heart. And people like Rebecca Sparks, for example, uh, we met her in Grantham in the old part. She's now pleading with the local council to help her and several other families relocate up to the new part of Grantham because this latest flood has ruined the downstairs part of her family home of 20 years where her son and her mother-in-law were living and she says if if they'd been there, they just would have drowned. Oh, I don't know if we got it in us anymore. Um, and me and, and some of our neighbours... Um, pretty much just feel like throwing our hands in the air and walking away. We're, um, we're at wit's end. What do we do? do we, is this going to happen again and how soon? Yeah, if we have it again in five or ten years' time, it could happen tomorrow for all we know. Um, yeah, it's, you know, what do you do? Well, why didn't Rebecca move after the 2011 flood when the government was offering to, to lend a hand. She says that her insurance payout at the time only covered the cost of repairs. It wasn't a cash settlement that would have covered a, a complete rebuild. Right. So even though the land was free, she couldn't afford to build the house. Yes, exactly. And I guess it depends how much money you have on top of the insurance payout as well, doesn't it? So the other thing we should point out here, Sam, is one of the other reasons the Grantham example worked so well was because there was appropriate land to develop and build on quite quickly. Finding that sort of land can actually be quite difficult. And another place that's been experimenting with moving people or businesses out of flood-prone areas is the Tweed Shire in the Northern Rivers region of New South Wales. And they've obviously been hit by floods really badly recently as well. The experience there has been a bit more complicated because while there's flood-free land available, it's been a question of getting around all the red tape to, to try and build on it. So that might involve issues around water availability, sewerage or native vegetation that can't be cleared. And getting those sorts of approvals can and sorting out all those uh, tricky issues can sometimes take years. Right. So moving a whole town is really pretty complicated and expensive and you obviously need the land to do it. Yeah, but, but it certainly can be done. And I think, I mean, the Grantham land swap has become a bit of a pin-up globally for its success. Overall, that ended up costing $30 million. What's been more common in Australia in response to natural disasters is voluntary house buybacks or house purchases, they're called, uh, when you have floods or fires come through. So with a land swap, which is what happened in Grantham, the residents, as we said, are gifted the land, but they have to pay to build their new homes. With a buyback, a government comes in, pays for your existing property at the market rate. But those who might take up that opportunity and sell their home to a government, have to then find somewhere else to buy or to build. And the trouble with that is that in many areas, particularly right now, there's a shortage of affordable housing. So the take-up of buybacks has been really quite slim. Okay. So there's two ways there and both are pretty expensive and some people just can't afford it. Are there any other options? Well, I guess the other options are what a lot of communities have been doing, which is trying to floodproof homes and towns 
as a nation, we've had centuries to talk about this issue of whether to move towns or homes or not. But here we are talking about it again, and we often ended up, end up talking about it after a disaster hits. And that's tricky because that's when emotions are incredibly raw, people have lost everything. It's hard to even fathom, isn't it? I mean, imagine Sam being in Grantham in 2011, attending the funerals of 13 of your friends or loved ones, and then at the same time as that's happening, having to get your head around moving your entire family home and everything you've known. It's it's a really tough ask. Well, I can really imagine it would be very difficult and traumatic to be discussing this so soon after the floods, but I guess the discussion is underway about what the best way forward is and what the most cost-effective thing to do is? I guess, I mean, it's been put to me that it comes back to this broader question of what is more cost-effective in the long term. So the current flood cleanup is expected to cost billions of dollars. Who's footing that bill? The taxpayer. So would taxpayers prefer to help clean up and rebuild and help people rebuild in flood zones? Or would they prefer that money be spent helping people or businesses uh, move to higher, safer, drier ground? It's a really tricky question. Lucy Barber is the ABC's National Regional Affairs reporter. The Bureau of Meteorology is warning river rises and flash flooding are possible in flood zones as heavy rain returns to parts of the East Coast again over the next week. This episode was produced by Flint Duxfield. Production by Chris Dengate and Sydney Peed. Mixing by Chris Dengate. Supervising producer is Stephen Smiley. Across the weekend, catch This Week with Emily Berg, who'll look at who's winning the war in Ukraine. I'm Sam Hawley. ABC News Daily will be back again on Monday. Thanks for listening. been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.